0: Hello, my name is Caleb Bland, and welcome to Normal History. Today, the audio in the first minute or so is a little bit shaky, and then it gets much better from there. So bear with us uh, this episode and next episode as we're working out a little bit of those intro kinks, and we should be pretty set from that point forward. Don't forget also that this is, also, uh, this is an online course as well, and you are welcome to go to normalhistory.com and check out some of the readings and discussion questions that are available there. Thanks. Hello, this is Caleb Land, and I am here with a normal person. Normal person, what is your name? Monty. Monty. So, Monty, would you consider yourself somebody who enjoys history? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, cool. So, if there's any person from history that you... Um, really learned something from, or really appreciated, who do you think that might be? Um, I'd go somewhere between Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther. Okay, cool. Um, so we're talking about early church history. Um, have you ever, by any chance, heard of Justin Martyr? I have heard of him, yes. Okay, anything that you remember? I, I know he wrote some stuff. I think he's from around, like, the two or three hundreds, maybe four hundreds. That's, uh, that's all I know. Great. Um, more than a lot of folks have known so far. So hopefully we can help you a little bit today on this episode. How did a few followers of Christ in ancient Palestine and a couple of letters that they wrote to each other end up becoming one of the most influential institutions in Western history. That's what we're going to find out this season on Normal History, where we're exploring church history, first five, six hundred years of church history. Stay tuned. Today on Normal History we're going to be talking about Justin Martyr as well as the epistle of Diognetus. So Justin was born about the year 100 in Samaria to a gentile family. He called himself uh, a pagan. He received a classical education and he really wanted to become a philosopher. He wanted to find the ultimate answers to life. So he was formally trained in several philosophical schools. He started out with Stoicism. Um, He went through several different schools looking for truth and looking for answers, ultimately settling on Platonism. But he still wasn't really satisfied in that Platonism, and ultimately through some conversations with a Christian, uh, renounced his Platonism and became a student of Jesus Christ and a follower of Jesus Christ and a Christian. So this is a key point that I want to stop for just a second and consider, and that is the influence of classical philosophy on the early Christian church, because with Justin we're going to start to see the uh, beginnings of this kind of influence. So Justin, along with other early Christians, um, we're going to talk about Clement. Um, Next week, in origin, as well as uh, someone like Augustine and many of the others were often formally trained in philosophy before becoming Christians. They're often criticized, and sometimes rightly so, for allowing their worldview and their education to influence their theology. But here's the thing. If you want to find somebody in history who wasn't influenced by the culture that they lived in and the education that they received, then you're going to be looking for a very long time. None of the men uh, and the women that we learn about in this series are perfect. None of them have perfect theology. If you're looking for kind of an a idealized version of some of their lives, you might want to look at something like Fox's Book of Martyrs. And, and no shade on Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, it's, a, it's a great work, but a lot of the, the motivation behind writing it was to inspire people. We're trying to look at human beings here who did their very best to follow God in the circumstances that they found themselves in. And that should sound similar to you and me, honestly. It should be familiar to us because ultimately, um, if you're a believer, then that's what what you are. Uh, For myself, as a Christian, that is what I am. Um, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian and you're, and you're listening to this, then you're probably someone who's trying to do your best in the circumstances that you find yourself in uh, based on whatever your philosophy and beliefs are as well. And so those are the things that we're interested in studying here, the normal people and how they tried to apply the truth that they believed in to their normal everyday lives. Uh, sure, this is an incredibly general study. I'm not trying to make any claims that this is a, an academic study. If you go to the website and look at some of the show notes, I try to give you some of the source material, uh, dig into some of those academic resources if that interests you. Uh, but for us, we're definitely more general. Their entire seminary courses on something that we may not even cover or may cover in 30 seconds or 5 minutes. And we are trying to harmonize and look for general themes uh, in the thoughts of a diverse group of people. Um, And so that can lend itself to some oversimplification at times. Um, It can lend itself... Uh, to generalization, but it's a good introduction. I think there's value in seeing what these early Christian teachers across centuries, cultures, years, and backgrounds did have in common were willing to disagree on and it, it sometimes even to die for. So uh, rant over for me. With that being said, why does Justin Martyr matter for us? Well, first of all, he matters because of the life that he lived. He was the most important defender of the Christian faith in the second century. He ultimately set up a school in Rome, modeled after the schools of philosophy there, for the purpose of promoting Christianity and defending it. This is the first time that Christianity began to be taken seriously as a philosophy in the Roman world. He's also remembered as a, for his bold defense of the faith in spite of persecution under Marcus Aurelius. Aurelius was an emperor, yes, but he was also a passionate, stoic philosopher, and he persecuted this new Christian faith. Um, Aurelius had to, to, um, to, to contend with the claims that were made by someone like Justin Martyr. And Martyr had to defend Christianity from all kinds of outlandish accusations, from accusations of cannibalism to incest. But it's typically the case throughout history where we're going to see the most dangerous teaching of Christianity was the clear teaching that Jesus and his kingdom were more important than the emperor and the empire. Ultimately, Justin was ordered to sacrifice to the Roman gods, a sign of Roman authority over all other gods, a sign of Roman power, or be beheaded. His final words before the tribunal were, That is our desire to be tortured for our lord Jesus Christ and so to be saved for that will give us salvation and firm confidence at the more terrible universal trial of our lord and savior uh, the second reason that he matters is because of the content and originality of his thought as we've discussed previously early christians weren't necessarily intellectual elites they hadn't typically received the kind of education that justin had While this education certainly wasn't necessary, I mean, Justin himself was converted through the clear and simple teaching of the gospel from an uneducated person. The gospel is simple to understand, yet it is helpful in the spread and the defense of the gospel into areas that it had not been able to penetrate up to this point for someone like Justin to take on uh, the truth claims of the gospel and apply them in a more direct way to the worldview of the Roman Empire. So one of the things we see throughout Scripture and history is God taking individuals and tools and education systems and taking these things and redeeming them for His kingdom and for His purposes. And this is just one example of that. We see clear examples in Scripture, um, and we see clear examples throughout history. A brief example of Justin's use of his education to defend the faith is his comprehensive defense of the christian faith which he addressed to the emperor justin traces the roots of christianity and philosophy to the old testament he traces them throughout old testament prophecy and shows and demonstrates all of the ways that jesus fulfilled these old testament prophecies He describes Jesus as the fulfillment of the best of Greek philosophy and links Jesus as the Logos from John 1 to the universal Logos of the Greek philosophers, an idea that was generally accepted and appreciated by most of the Roman schools of thought. Some of these defenses that Justin made would become keystone defenses by later Christian and medieval Christian apologists. And so their key uh, reasons why Justin Martyr is an important person for us to think about and to consider. So, in the second part, we're going to be looking at another important work of apologetics from the second century. Uh, We're going to try to wedge this into our discussion today. This is an anonymous letter to a man named Diognetus. He was quite possibly one of Marcus Aurelius' tutors and was definitely a scholar who was at least interested in the Christian faith because of some of the questions that he poses about Christianity. So in this letter, the anonymous author passionately displays the beauty of the Christian faith by answering Three questions that were posed by Diognetus. The first question that, Di- that Diognetus asked is, who is this Christian God? Understanding that there were many Roman gods um, and many pagan gods of all different kinds, he wants to know who this God is and why he's any different than any of them. The second thing he wants to know, and perhaps most importantly, is why do Christian communities love and serve each other so well? The Roman world was not necessarily known for the love and self-sacrifice that it demonstrated and so the Christian community stood in stark contrast to that and third how can a religion like Christianity that's so new actually be true so for the Romans they held a lot of value in tradition and uh, history and so how could something that was so new that some of the great philosophers of old didn't really know about how could it actually be true or hold any weight So in answering these things, the author, first of all, begins with displaying the foolishness of Roman idolatry. This is a similar tactic taken by both the prophet of Jeremiah and also the apostle Paul at the Acropolis, um, kind of poking fun at and showing the, the foolishness of worshiping idols that were created by human beings, even in the best cases by the reason of human beings and so he explains that the Christian God is different in this very way that he's not crafted by human reason he's the pre-existent creator who reveals himself to people the key here is that Christianity is ultimately not an attempt by mankind to find God but is the gracious revelation by God of himself to mankind the fullest and most gracious way that God has revealed himself to humanity is in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is key in this letter. The second thing that uh, is going to be answered by this anonymous writer to Diagnetus. So Diognetus is confused by a most practical observation that he and others made. It was widely known, even made fun of and mocked by um, some Roman playwrights, that Christians loved each other, served each other, sacrificed for each other. The Roman world was known uh, by people who were, for the most part, out for themselves, for their happiness and their pleasure, and this was even seen and celebrated by many as the ideal. But the Christian community was known to the pagan world as a community that loved each other and served each other sacrificially. The unknown author explains to Diognetus that once a person understands the overwhelming love that God has for his people, fully displayed in the gospel of Jesus, that love and joy are going to naturally flow out of them and they're going to be compelled to show that love for others. The Christians were creating a community within a pagan community that was very different than that community at large around them. Where people loved each other, cared for each other, where life including the lives of the unwanted infants and orphans who were often thrown out to die, aborted, where these were protected and preserved. Where sex was honored within the covenant of marriage. Where women and slaves were equal to men before God. The love that Christians had for each other and their willingness to die in martyrdom were two clear evidences that the Roman world could not really counter. So, as normal people, we want to ask ourselves, so what? What does any of this matter for me today in the real world, in my real life? Well, first of all, uh, we live in the most powerful empire that the world has ever seen. In a country of political turmoil, where... Anyone who has a practical allegiance, and that means an actual allegiance more than just saying that you have an allegiance to anything more so than the nation, is a little bit suspect. We also live in a pluralistic society, a society often driven by greed and self-interest as the ultimate, where the highest good that the majority of people practically live out is the personal happiness, is the highest possible good no matter what that costs to other people. In contrast to this, the Christian church is... Well, unfortunately, the Christian church doesn't really contrast that much today. And that's where we stand very different than the early Christian church, where we actually have a a lot to learn, where Christians have a lot to learn. So there are most certainly pockets of genuine Christian community in our country and around our world. But I doubt that many people in in the dominant culture really ask themselves wow, why do these Christians sacrifice so much for each other? Why do they love each other so much? You don't really see in the popular films and movies of today pictures and demonstrations of Christians as people who love each other and sacrifice for each other. And don't say, well, they just don't like us because of our values. Because remember, the Romans had very different values than the Christians as well. This isn't to say that The Romans respected or liked the Christians. No, the Romans made fun of the Christians as well. Yet, there was always this wonder that the Romans had at people who were willing to sacrifice and serve each other, at people who were willing to stick out their necks for other people, at people who were willing to die for their beliefs. You see, for a Roman, it would have been nothing for them to just say, oh, yeah, I'll sacrifice to this other God over here, because ultimately, My life and my happiness are more important than my beliefs. Any belief that's going to cause me to die an early death is not a belief that's really worthwhile. So, why are these Christians willing to lay down their lives for each other? And to me, even more so, it demonstrates that these Christians were willing to die daily to their own desires, to their own pleasure. In order to live for others. For many of us, that's the more difficult thing. I don't doubt that many Americans, if someone put a gun to their head and said, deny your faith in Jesus, would be willing to die. But unfortunately for many of us, we're not willing to die each and every day for our faith in Jesus Christ. Second, God has blessed the modern world with more access to knowledge and technology and education, uh, scientific and geographic knowledge than the world has ever seen or known. The early church was able to take the talent, skill, technology, and education that they received and use those to advance the kingdom of God in the world in creative ways. Unfortunately, it seems like much of the Christian church today is, is in fear of or running away from some of these advancements instead of taking those things and redeeming them, redeeming the best practices and education and technology and using them for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom. It doesn't mean that we don't have discernment. It doesn't mean that we take everything wholeheartedly, but it also means we're not afraid. We're not afraid to use that the best that the world has to offer. We're not afraid to take those tools and use them to advance the kingdom of God in the world. Don't forget to engage with the readings and discussions at normalhistory.com. Next time, we're going to be looking at the Alexandrian School, Clement, and Origen, two of my personal favorites in the early church fathers. Until then, keep digging for the truth.